this? Ugh, this is so boring. What else is on? Welcome to a brand new episode of Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoons, an animation podcast for geeky girl experience. I'm Hope Molinax, and I make my friend Chris Honeywell watch my favorite animated shows. In this episode, the kids, Seuss and Wendy, along with Old Man McGucket, help discover that there is a secret society in Gravity Falls. We're talking about Gravity Falls Society of the Blind Eye this week. Hey, Chris. What's Hello. up? Lots of fun stuff in this one. There is a lot of fun stuff in this one. Oh, I am very excited. Like when you, like last week when you were like, you know, a little gift shop of horrors was just kind of a chill episode. You're like, I bet there's like next week is a juicy one. And I was like, yeah, yes, they have to it move is. it forward next time. Yeah. So <laughs> it is a very juicy episode. Well, how are you doing? You having a good week so far? I am so far. I'll be glad when tomorrow's over and. Thanksgiving will be done. Yeah, we're we're recording the Tuesday before Thanksgiving, so Chris and, and I have both been busy. So, <laughs> just to date this episode. Yeah, it's uh, I'm having a good week too. I finished putting up my second strand of Christmas lights outside, and I can see my Christmas lights, and they're so warm and bright outside, and it makes me happy because it breaks up the darkness that is the year that is 2020. Yikes. <laughs> I know, that went down fast, but... Oh, I'm just really excited to get into this. Are you? Oh, yeah. Okay, you said it was interesting, but did you like it? I did like it a lot. Really? I'm excited. Why did I ask really? <laughs> <laughs> no, Are I'm just lying? I'm just making it up for the show, you know. Are I'm you just lying? Trying yeah. to drum up some enthusiasm. Well, let's get into it. <clears throat> Society of the Blind Eye was the 27th episode of Gravity Falls, and it aired on October 27th, 2014. It was written by Alex Hirsch, Matt Chapman, and Zach Pies. The director was Sunil Hall, and the storyboard artists were Sabrina Catugno, Sunil Hall, Chris Houston, Luke Weber, and Vaughn Tada. Some extra information for you. Blind Ivan is voiced by Peter Serafinowicz. His other works include Guardians of the Galaxy, Shaun of the Dead, the Tick, and he is the voice of Darth Maul in Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. I did not know that, and I watched this entire episode now imagining Darth Maul saying all this dumb shit that Blind Ivan says. <laughs> he only had one line in The Phantom Menace, so... Yeah, yeah, so now although I just... Like... I, although, now that, now that you mention that, somewhere I still have... I, I have an Emperor phone. It was a wall phone, but it flipped open and it had the keypad in it. But it had buttons with, like, the Emperor just going, at last, my plans. Were, but it also had, um, it must have been Peter Serafinowicz. Serafinowicz. Ser- I, Serafinowicz I practiced. <laughs> you know, at, at last we shall destroy the Jedi. At last we shall do our fate or whatever. And I used to annoy my friends when they would call me and I would just be like, at last, the Jedi. Just hit the button over <laughs> and over again. During the credit scene, Stan's coffee mug, notepad, and pen are sucked into the machine. During the Rick and Morty episode, Close Rick Counters of the Rick Kind, the same three items appear falling out of one of Rick's portals in the background. The fun thing about this note is, 
the Rick and Morty episode aired first in April of 2014. This episode aired six months later in October. So for the for six months there, people had no idea why a notebook, a mug, and a pen fell out of the Rick and Morty portal until this aired to show the beginning of that story. And also a very fun note, Alex Hirsch and Justin Roiland, because they're real-life friends and everything, have done many charity streams of crossover artwork between their two series. So it's actually not really hard for people to consider that these shows are both in the same universe together. Well, Rick and Morty takes place in every universe anyway. Mm -hmm. It crosses universes anyway. So any kind of interdimensional portal theoretically could could be interacting with any other portal in any other fictional universe. I'm going to give you this one, okay? I have been very, very, very careful up to this point to not call it a portal. It's a it is, portal, though. It's a it's, portal. It, all the language of the visual language of it says a, it's a portal. It's I a, know, it's, but it's I didn't. A portal. I, I, didn't I knew wanna, it was a portal. Okay, but I didn't want to try and like accidentally influence your predictions because when yeah. we first saw it, I, I when I realized I was like, he doesn't know this is a portal. When we first saw it, I was like, oh god. So that's it's, I was actually deleting notes of like, delete that. It's a portal. No, it's a yeah, it's a portal. It's that's just what portals look like and how they work. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the question isn't whether it's a portal; it's what it's a portal to. Okay. Cool. Cool. Well, now that's out in the open. I can stop deleting notes now. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. It's been out in the open for a while, but cool, cool. But it wasn't confirmed. I nice, didn't know. Nice, nice thought, though. You know. I didn't know that you know that I knew that you know. <laughs> well, you know. And knowledge is power, G.I. Joe. Agent Powers and Agent Trigger from Skiriyoki can be seen very briefly. I this, I never saw this before until I actually looked for it for the first time after seeing this note. Can be very seen quickly, briefly, when Wendy is throwing the d CD out the window of Suze's truck. McGucket, when he tints his finger and peers through his eye in his memories, is the same way that Mabel does it in sock opera to indicate Bill's cipher. And a lot of celebrities were doing it around this time period and getting accused of being Illuminati, too. <laughs> like, I wonder if it was because of the Gravity Falls. Maybe. Maybe, maybe. And finally, some notable people who are not shown this episode have had their memories erased by the blind eye, and this includes Gideon's mother, Pacifica Northwest, and her father, Preston Northwest. And Preston's memories are on the altar shelf beside McGucket. Oh, Chris, what's your favorite part of the episode? <laughs> oh, I got, I've got a few. I got a few too. <laughs> um, Blanchin. <laughs> that song's great. May, uh, another Mabel line. All ideas are good ideas. <laughs> yes, very much so. And Toot Toot McBumbersnazzle, the banjo player. That's your new uh, traveling That's band name. A traveling banjo player. It could be. There's got to be someone, someone somewhere playing as Toot Toot Mc. Make bumper snazzle now though, but that's all I had. You didn't note your gnomes. I didn't. I saw the gnomes in there, but they didn't do anything especially to know me creepy this time. They're usually creepier. They were. They were a secondary side thing. I'm just. I'm like touching like my chest. I was like, oh, I thought for sure you had been like my gnomes are here. <laughs> no, I'm not as as hot on the gnomes as like or anything like that but yeah gotcha gotcha my favorite parts were i just love the moment that wendy throws the cd out the window and seuss just glares her down and she's just like 
I'll buy you a new one. <laughs> it's so rare that we see like Seuss mad and like, and she just, it was such an instant reaction of just like, <laughs> and I felt that like there are certain songs that like when I hear certain songs, I'm just like, I will destroy everything around me when I hear this song. Um, so I, I felt that really deep from Wendy. I love Mabel and Wendy defending Lazy Susan's makeup because yes, women defending women. I love the fight like a hillbilly fight. Just the entire fight sequence is just really fun. And just, you know, Sue's chasing people around with a dysentery display and, you know, fighting with banjos. And it's just a really fun fight. And just the entire scene of McGuffet's memories. And it's it's a favorite in a different way. It's just, and we'll talk about it more, but it's, it's powerful. It's quiet. It's heart-wrenching. It's a lot. And so... It's it's not like a haha fun favorite. It's more like a oh good writing favorite. Okay, I gotta ask. I'm gonna open this. Um, actually, Home Makes Chris Watch cartoons is broken into parts. The first part will talk about the story theme and characters. Part two will read from Dipper's journal entry. Part four will be the ciphers and connections to previous episodes, and there's a lot of them this time. And finally, we'll have Chris's speculation and theories corner. Did you see the McGucket reveal coming? Sort of. I don't trust it. Why don't you trust it? You know what his name is McGucket. That that is his name. That's his last name. Yes, and in this episode, he all of a sudden became a plot element. And these these guys know their filmmaking. You ever heard of a MacGuffin? Well, yeah. I think he's a MacGuffin. It's a blind trail that they're sending us down. It's an interesting thing. He invented the thing and he worked with the guy who wrote the, you know, he was obviously a MacGuffin because they thought he was the author of the book. And I was like, no, there's no way the MacGuffin's going to be the author of the book. But I think MacGuffin isn't, might not be their key to figuring things out. Gotcha. Oh, okay. I see Once what you're again, right now, these kids can just waltz in to a secret hideout the society's memory library at their leisure <laughs> they have they have a, a like so much reference and and research at their fingertips right now and so many embarrassing things to hold against people like robbie <laughs> if they really wanted to <laughs> well i imagine i i imagine the whole town and i it's important i'm sure that pacifica's dad is in a place of importance there and remember, I did say that I thought her parents were probably going to be somewhere strongly figuring in this story because her dad's a classic rich and powerful man. So I didn't note this. Um, I almost did. And I thought about it because there's a photo of it. And I was like, oh, well, it's an this is an audio medium. So it's not like people could see the photo. So uh, between season one and season two, Alex Hirsch realized that fans were starting to figure stuff out because they had an entire year to like comb through the show, the first season and stuff like that. So he made and drew and like created a fake image of McGucket. And it looked like like show quality too. It looked like it was a, a frame from the show. And like of McGucket writing in the journal, made a fake account on Reddit, quote unquote, lick the image of like oh man you know i you know some person at disney leaked this image of mcguckett as the the journal art uh writer and stuff like that and then just let the internet go crazy until this episode came out and so he used that fake account to like kind of stir that pot to like deter people and people and because one of the popular theories was that mcguckett was the author 
and so finally when after this episode came out alex put on his uh <laughs> put on his twitter he was like it was me the whole time <laughs> um it was and that image was released after this episode yeah yeah i mean he was very very careful about stirring that pot and fanning the flames to try and make people setting up his MacGuffin. yeah yep 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 what did you think about the society of the blind eye at first it was like okay we'll get a lot of they 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 wrote it especially to make sure we don't get any answers out of it i don't think what the explanation their explanation is the right explanation i think there's a person that they keep forgetting all their stuff, so they just sort of are in this weird loop where they sort of only know what they're doing, but they don't know why or anything. But because somebody's, you know, putting certain memories in certain places, so somebody else has probably just been zapping all of them, and they were all just townspeople pawns that it looks like they favor people with tattoos for sure. The newspaper guy is, would be a good guy to have in it because he works at the newspaper and you could con- control stuff from there. But the, I to think see they were all like, but gleeful Gideon's father. Gideon's father is, you know, has this child who has pretty much controlled the town all of season one. So like he's in a kind of a prominent place too to be in that society. Yeah, it's a bunch of people that you might want to keep an eye on. And mm-hmm. a bunch of other maybe people who are more prone to getting information that you would be wiping more so you put them all in the in the but there you know it's 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 either bill cypher or somebody else is has basically just you it's sort of a, like almost like an mk ultra type situation of everybody's been brainwashed there i like the society for the sole purpose of it explains a lot of the plot holes of gravity falls because like one of the big like plot holes is like fight fighters we were like Rumble McSkirmish goes rampaging through town and no one knows. <laughs> and so it explains like why people don't remember things and why like this town is able to get by being weird without like freaking people out. Cause, but, but of course like, it's gone on some radars because the government is aware of Gravity Falls and we know that Agent Trigger and Agent Powers is there. But it does fix some of those like little plot holes. You know, like when you have a video game character burning down half the town and like it's not on the internet or people aren't like bringing in outside news sources and stuff. I I like that it fixes that plot hole. And I always think about that line from Stan where Stan is uh, during the shorts. I I think it was the hide behind one where Stan is like the people of this town are literally the dumbest people in the world, literally. And he's right. It's because they've all been have their minds like wiped and taken away, which makes it so like heart wrenching because you see the side effects with McGucket. It sounds like we feel differently about this. Uh, well, what what did you think about like the McGucket memories and like just McGucket in the story? Because this is really his episode. This is the first time we like here's McGucket's backstory. Here's his story. Like like how did you feel about that? And not as him like as a plot element, but him as a character. They they made him more into a linear character in in this episode because now he has a story. So now he's not just a series of gags. But um yeah I I I don't know you know. No, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, as a character, I I don't know. I'm not expecting an awful lot more from McGucket going forward as okay. far as important things in the storyline, to tell you the truth. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, I see. I think he's set up. I think he's set up to keep 
he's set up as a distraction to keep people's eyes on him. Mm, gotcha. I see what he's, you're saying. He's just another, like, you know, he's going to be one in a trail of, like, people that have just sort of gotten messed up by Bill Cipher-related things. Gotcha. For me, with my get in this episode, I just like how, you know how, like, Scaryoki reframed a lot of Stan's season one stories? Because we were like, oh, well, Stan knew the whole time. It shows that he was way smarter in season one and he was so crafty. I kind of feel that way about McGucket because I re- reframed a lot of his stories from season one. Because it frames McGucket as this very tragic character. And looking back at like his strained relationship with his son back in the Gobblewonker episode, we know he used to be this brilliant man, but he's been turned into this. And, you know, he just wants to be accepted and loved. And it, it kind of reframes a lot of those earlier episodes. I love seeing him fighting back, though, and I love that heroic moment of him taking, like, the mind-erasing bullet for the kids. That's such, like, a little moment of triumph for him, because he's always been this, like, joke character, but in that one moment, he's very heroic, because he recognizes that he might not always know what's going on and stuff like that, but he recognizes that these kids are trying to help him, and seeing him just get hit repeatedly again and again and again, and that line that he says of, like, my mind's been gone for years. You can't take anything else from me. It's it's this like like sappy, rewarding moment, and he's so heroic, and I love it. Yeah, I just uh, I I love that moment. And McGucket just watching his memories and like seeing who he once was and seeing his downfall is just so hor- horrifically tragic. And you actually kind of called this. Uh, I I don't I think it was a few episodes ago. You said something very very offhand. Along the lines of like, oh, I bet McGucky used to be smart, but then something happened and yeah, he turned yeah. into this. Well, so it's a tr- it's it's a trope, and we're dealing with with horror. We're dealing with horror movie stuff too, and they're getting more horror movie like. So McGucket is almost like a Renfield from Dracula, maybe. Or there's there's lots of examples of them of that sort of thing. Characters like that who've had their They've like in Lovecraft movies. There's all sorts of people who've had their minds messed up by something they've seen that was too horrible, or a trauma, or somebody's wiped their their brain or brainwashed them or something. He's got that that quality to him, and he's also he's also just sort of around everything too. And remember, at the beginning, he was like he's he is he is a crazy old man, but he built a full like functional submarine that 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 submarine boat that looked like a sea monster and he built gideon's bot (laughs) right and 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 like all and like the sea monster was probably based on something that he forgot but remember he said he saw something in the lake and 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 stuff like that so so the sea monster might have been a little bit of his past coming a little memory of what he saw in the lake plus his technical know-how absolutely I just had to give you some credit because you called this one. <laughs> I'm bound to get one or two here and there. You got more than you think, but you've also missed a lot more than you think, too. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. I am like, something I'm thinking about doing at the end of the show is going well, back to all your... you're going multiple viewings of this, too, and, and also internet steeping in, in it, too. So. Yeah. 
something I'm thinking about doing, like, once we finish the show is going back through all the predictions and, like, being, like, enlisting all the ones you got right. Getting my percentage. Yeah, that would be interesting. If you want to do that work, that sounds like a big pain in the ass. (laughs) Not horribly. I just have to go to those parts of the episode. Listen to all the episodes, yeah. But but you, you're you're usually pretty good like keeping them in that one section. So all I yeah, have to that's really do true. Is, that's yeah, true. Yeah, you just have to go to those sections. So the next point I have is we very briefly see the return of Mabel's scrapbook, and Mabel's scrapbook is a lot like Dipper has a journal. She has her scrapbook, and the scrapbook is always a signifier of where the characters are emotionally, mentally, like, and and they're always like kind of um how what would you call it? Words are gone. But, you know, a point in the story where it shows where the characters are. And I was I was kind of thinking about that, about, like, how that applies here, of where the characters are emotionally. I almost feel like it's, with this being such a meaty episode, it's kind of a stop-and-breathe moment of, like, Dipper and Mabel are at this point in the summer where she has her own drive of what she wants to do this summer, and he has his drive of what he wants to do this summer, and of course, the McGucket story then takes over. But we're starting to see this point of the kids both have different goals. Um, of course, Mabel is the heart, Dipper is the mind. And Mabel is the one that doesn't want to grow up, and Dipper is the one that wants to grow up too fast. And so I, I kind of like this kind of like, not quite the midway point of the season, but a little right before the midway point of the season of a little touching base of where they are. And they pretty much both express what they want. She wants romances. She wants these yeah. big fantasies. He wants to figure out this mystery. So I, I like no, they're, whenever they're, they're teenagers. They have their yeah. their teenagers don't don't even have goals. They just have obsessions. So yeah, her she's a, she's boy obsessed, which is fairly typical. And he's he's got his mystery, which any teenage boy would be all over. Um, did you have anything in particular you felt about like different Mabel's story? I, I felt like they were very much the support of Magucka in this episode. They were almost perfunctory. Like Mabel, when she concluded her story, she just wrapped it up for everybody with a line of dialogue. She goes, yeah, I should keep those memories because, you know, I should remember my mistakes for further. <laughs> you know, she just wrapped it up and goes, yeah, we don't have to deal with that anymore. Mm-hmm. So it was just sort of it was per- they, they knew what everybody was going to be watching it for. Yeah. And she was kind of like a tiny foil to McGucket a little bit, like because they were. The whole thing was that he did do what she did, and she got to see, like, oh, that's what I would become. <laughs> okay, <laughs> let's not. And I kind of feel the same way about Seuss and Wendy. Seuss was a really good, just kind of like, he was the muscle. You know, he played his support role. But I will say, I, I like Wendy in this episode <laughs> a little bit. Pretend I'm a man and forget about all those those silly guys. <laughs> <laughs> I love that moment where she's just like, testosterone, yeah. The reason I like Wendy on this mission is now that the crush storyline is over, she's kind of stepped into more of an older sibling role, especially in a Mabel. And I, I liked seeing her in that role because so much of her story was wrapped up in Dipper. Now that the crush storyline is over, she gets to spend this time with Mabel now. And I just like seeing her in that role of kind of being like that older sibling to them, especially to her, and just being that kind of girl that Mabel has been kind of wanting. Because, of course, she has Candy and Grinda, but having an older girl there, too, is also very helpful to her. So I like seeing Wendy in that kind of slightly different role that we haven't really gotten a chance to see her in up to this point. A little bit, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's still getting there, but it's... I was thinking back to, what was it, the, the Gideon episode, the very first Gideon episode, 
where Wendy and Mabel were sitting outside and it was just a non-conversation. And to actually have them now having like the sister conversation I wanted them to have in season one, I was just like, yes, finally. (laughs) And my very last note is in big, bold letters. It's bold and it's big and it says, Mermando and the queen of the manatees. But she's so beautiful. Yeah. And of course they would have to like, you know, somehow take Mermando because he, he was the only crush that, you know, him and Mabel would have been great. And they had to take Mermando out and ruin the, the he's betrothed to the queen of the manatees. It's just so beautiful. I just like that they stuck a manatee in a dress. <laughs> it's not even like a merman manatee. It's just a manatee in a dress with a crown. <laughs> well, that's the thing is manatees were always like... That's what people think that they'd often mistaken mermaids or manatees for mermaids. So I guess I guess now we know mermaids and manatees are or mermen and man, manatees are uh, compatible now. <laughs> to stop an undersea war of all things. Yeah. Oh, who knows what's been happening with Mermando all this time trying to stop a war. Maybe his absence in the deep end is what caused the war, and his family thought the manatees took him from them, and he came back to pacify the war. No, that's a classic. You marry off the royal families to to keep both sides invested in each other. But did you have anything else for the story themes and characters? Yeah, the music, a lot of the music, I think, was meant to uh, sound like this old, I can't remember what the company was that did it, but it was a Saturday morning, um, I think it was Filmation, called Land of the Lost. Oh, yeah. And it, and it just had the sort of plunky banjo music of Land of the Lost. Uh, let's see. There was a little eyes wide shut moment with the with the Society of the Blind Eye. How so? That, that movie. Well, there, I mean, uh, did you ever see uh, Eyes Wide Shut? Do I ever see movies that you say? Yeah, no. But there's there's a, a guy is brought in a mask before you or brought before you know the who have we brought before us and what have you seen you know type of thing. So it was I think it was and Blind Ivan. Did did you recognize his tattoos? I didn't note it because it's in the journal number three. Phrenology head. Absolutely. He's got a, he's got a phrenology head. Yeah, that that was the only reason I didn't note it because I'm about to read about it in a minute. So. Uh-huh. Yeah. That that polishes off all my notes. Okay. So, sit in, guys. Tucker back. Get, you know, get comfortable. Tucker back? <laughs> I don't know what that means. I don't know. That would be a great name for somebody, though. My name is Tucker Back. I'm Tucker Back of the Outback. Because I am about to read so much out of the journal. I have, I think, Five, six passages marked, because I can read them now. (laughs) And we're going to be touching back on some of the ones that we haven't read up so far. So uh, the majority of these come from the author, but there is one for uh, Dipper. So, starting with the author. My assistant. The past few days have been most energizing I've had since I've come to this town. I don't think I realized just how isolated I'd become until F arrived, and his brilliant mind and amusing quirks had made this task infinitely more enjoyable. I have told him no banjo playing after eight, though. And I'm not a fan of his chewing tobacco habit. He grew up on a hog farm, so I, I suppose old vices die hard. 
He even casually hambones on his knees when he's counting in his head. I can put up with these quirks, but I told him if I ever see a pig in this house, I'm sending him back south. I often catch him staring at this photo of his family back in Palo Alto. He says thinking about his loved ones keeps him grounded. I have a similar picture on my desk of Nikola Tesla. He carries new computing technology with him everywhere. He predicts that this floppy disk uh, in the future, the disk will be even ten times more floppier. And he has a portable computer, and it's a picture of the portable computer that they found in the bunker. Um, and it, that's what the picture is. This is his new pet project. He's made one for me that has extra orange master keys for my extra finger. Honestly, not sure why I use this thing. It's just a heavy, slow journal. And I keep scrambling this Cubics cube, and it has like a little Rubik's cube. When he's not looking, and he keeps solving it without hesitation. I think it makes him crazy to see it unsolved for more than two seconds. I'm thinking of modifying it so it's unsolvable, just to see the look on his face. Kind of going through a few of the older entries that we've already touched on. So, some of the things I couldn't read before was, like, the the one about the tooth short where they found the beast, the island beast head that they found in the short. Some of the paragraphs I, I skipped was Fiddleford was with the author. But really, the like, in the hide-behind, Fiddleford was actually the first one to hear the hide-behind, and he was like, wake up, author, there's something here. But the big one that really kicks off everything is the Grim Loblin. So remember the Grim Loblin from Boss Mabel, and he was just minding his own business, and Dipper drugged him into the shop, and they were like, oh, God. Yeah. So the Grim Loblin's ability was, when you looked into his eyes, you saw your worst fears. And the part of that I couldn't read was the Grimloblin actually captured Fiddleford, and he saw his worst fears, and they defeated it. But that takes us to the next entry. Despite our fortune, I've become worried about my assistant. I was able to treat his physical wounds, but I fear there are mental wounds not as easily remedied. For the past several nights, he has been unable to sleep, apparently still haunted by the Grimloblin's gaze. More alarming, his cubics cube. It has sat scrambled, unfixed, on his desk for days. I myself have survived many monster attacks without trauma, but perhaps F is more sensitive than I realized. I spent the afternoon teaching F some of my meditation techniques, and a heart rate slowing exercise I learned to help control fear. F seems skeptical, but I reminded him that we are scientists and that by using our creativity, we can solve any problem we face, even our fears. My assistant took my advice in the worst way possible. Today, he ran up to me, beaming and saying that he spent all night working on a solution to his anxiety. He produced this unsettling device. Apparently, it can target and destroy bad memories, including his frightening encounter with the Grim Loblin. A memory gum. What if it gets in the wrong hands? And it has a blast shield, not nearly large enough. What if the blowback affects the user? There's memory canisters, and it holds a spool of electric tape that's supposed to copy and store the memories for later use. The bulb blasts a wave of radiation strong enough to disassemble the neurological pathways that contain memories. Is it permanent? The outpost jack, to use on a wider scale. The potential application is alarming. The specifier allows the user to type out and target specific memories. I shudder to think what a typo would produce. 
I didn't hesitate to let F know, despite his good intentions, the device was far too dangerous to keep. The temptation for misuse was catastrophic. For all I knew, he already used it the right on me before. F was crestfallen by my advice, but after some discussion, he came to see the wisdom in it. He said that he didn't want to risk forgetting his wife and son. I ordered him to destroy the gun, and he did. At least I think he did. I can't remember if he did. And so the next page goes to the carnival that I read about last week with the hand witch. To get their mind off the Grim Loblin attack, uh, the author and Fiddleford go to the carnivore, the carnivore, the carnival, and the author gets his palm read by the hand witch, just like we read last week. And so after he gets his hand read, he runs outside and he sees, and this is the next part. As I hurried from the tent, I found my assistant cheerfully fixing some gears on the broken Ferris wheel and chatting with an odd young carny. Although this seedy character was little more than a teenager, his bald head was covered with strange tattoos, bearing a striking resemblance to the defunct scientific field of phrenology. The young man, who had the name tag Ivan Wexler, was in the middle of telling a fretful anecdote. Apparently, the other carnies made fun of him for his head tattoos. And when he told the boys to stop, they locked him in the haunted freak house for an entire night which had utterly terrified him. He lost sleep for weeks and wished he could forget the entire thing. F whispered something to the man and handed him a piece of paper with a symbol on it, which I didn't get a good look at. Perhaps I should have inquired, but I was in no mood to spend another second at this ridiculous fair. I took one last look down at my hand and I shoved it in my pocket, collecting F, and tried to put the whole experience behind me. So then, we go through the bunker. And most of, like, the bunker whole thing from, you know, remember the shapeshifter episode? It was, like, season two? Or it was, like, episode two of the season? Yeah. So, what happened in the bunker, and that I couldn't read before, was when they first found the shapeshifter, they were like, oh, man, this bunker is awesome. And Fiddleford actually designed so many of the traps of it, and they're... And, the author was like, damn, you good. But the shapeshifter actually impersonated Fiddleford because he was trying to get the journal, just like we saw in the episode. And he actually locked Fiddleford away and was pretending to be him until they were finally able to trap him. And so I skipped so many pages and we go ahead and move forward to Society of the Blind Eye. And this is this entry takes place after the Bill Cipher entry in the journal. Uh, everything I see only feeds my growing paranoia. After a few weeks researching Bill, I went to town for food, only to find this. And it's an image of the eye with a red X through it. This mysterious symbol is everywhere. There it is again. Two nights later, I, gl I glimpsed a group of hooded figures. They ran away from me, yelling, It is unseen. And I pursued them, and I responded, No, it isn't, you creeps. I can see you just fine. And then they threw some trash cans in my way and vanished. Why can't I shake the idea that this new cult is somehow connected to me and my work? Can it merely be a coincidence that my own project has reached this critical juncture at the same time this group has shown itself? And the symbolism, the symbols are so familiar. The blind eye, what does that mean? Can't be unseen. If my suspicions are correct, this is the work of Fiddleford, 
Does he really have to go to such great lengths to forget? Are they trying to stop him? Or are they trying to stop me from stopping him? That doesn't make any sense. I cannot keep going on like this without some sort of rest. That I can barely think straight. So now we go to Dipper for happier things. July 29th, Dipper Pines. A break in the case. I've been looking for a hint about the author's whereabouts this entire summer. But sometimes the answers are staring you right in the face. We uncovered and defeated the Society of the Blind Eye, and we owe our success to Old Man McGucket. Remember the guy I thought was a lunatic hillbilly back during our Gobblewonker adventure? Turns out that that crazy old man has a heart of gold, and he saved our minds. But more important, McGucket used to be a brilliant scientist, specifically the one who worked with the author. The F that the author referred to was Fiddleford McGucket, and he could be the key to unraveling the big mysteries of Gravity Falls. And if he can get his mind and memories back, there are some encouraging signs. Although he still seems to like talking to raccoons. Mabel and I have hope, and we are glad to that we have made a brand new friend. And that is the journal for this week. Interesting. Alright, and now it's time for our ciphers and connections to previous episodes. Again, there's a lot of them. So in Irrational Treasure... The serial number on the negative $12 bill once decipher had the word blind as an early hint to the Society of the Blind Eye. There's a callback to Fight Fighters as Robbie recalls fighting Roman McSkirmish to the Society. In Carpet Diem, the date circled on the calendar in the newly discovered room is July 4th, 1982. McGucket says in this episode that 1982 is the last year he can clearly remember. In Gideon Rises, the cryptogram at the end of the episode once decoded read, Search for the Blind Eye. Since then, this is a hint to look for graffiti around town with an eye with a red X through it. The graffiti can be seen in the episodes Scarioke, Susan the Real Girl, and The Golf War. It's demonstrated at the start of the episode that the society leaves graffiti wherever they take someone to have their memories erased. In Dipper's Guide to the Unexplained, in the short Stan's Tattoo, one of the pages on D Dipper's bulletin board is about secret societies. Part is tended towards the blind eye, because it says, One particular sinister, mysterious order features an eye with a red X through it. In Sock Opera, Bill Cipher never stated that he would give Dipper the password to the laptop. Rather, he would give him a hint. And when he smashed the laptop, it exposed the McGucket Labs label that Mabel finds in this episode, thus fulfilling his end of the deal. And now, for the many cryptograms for the episode. Um, one of the cryptograms is from journal number three. It's the one I just read, which was, If my suspicions are correct, this is the work of Fiddleford. Does he really have to go through such lengths to forget? The next cryptogram was at the end of Old Man McGucket's Memories, and he says the word, and this is when he was making like the little triangle over his eyes, He's actually speaking at Bash, which is a cipher. And when it's translated, he says, Bill Cipher, triangle. But once the cryptogram at the end of the ep but I don't know why I said but once the cryptogram at the end of the credits is decoded, it reads, ignorance is bliss, but bliss is boring. And finally, the flashing page cryptogram at the end of the episode refers to members of the blind eye. Once it's decoded, it reads, Gideon's tantrums, misspelled tattoos, Chandra's rejections, society's views, a fear of witches, a life of regret, 
these are the things that they like to forget. Or they try to forget, I should say. All right, Chris, what's your speculations and theories? <laughs> <clears throat> you did that wrong, Hope. It's Gideon's tantrums and misspelled tattoos, Chandra's projection society's views, a fear of which is a life's regret. These are the things that they try to forget. I knew it was that. I just didn't want to sing it. Oh, they, like it, when, they like it when we sing. I know, I know. I was singing Carly Simon and Eat It and Beat It with Dario the other day. I was telling you about that. <laughs> I just threw so much new, uh, so much information at you. So, did any of the information I just threw at you change any of your predictions? No. Okay. No, no. No, no. This is all... I don't want to sound like super cool, Hope, but like this is like kind of kitty stuff. So they're, they're, so they're walking kitties through it, so I know I'm working with a sort of limited amount of information on the first time through, because I won't know what to look for. I might have some extra with some of the things that I know might catch me on and some stuff. I realize that I'm so, I don't think I'm going to figure too much out until maybe I get really close to the end of it, but... My predict I I already sort of w went through one of my predictions that McGucket is a is a MacGuffin and the society is sort of a dupe controlled organization that that you won't be able to get much out of the society. My big prediction, and I think it's just a little tiny thing, uh, it hasn't even been mentioned yet, is Grunkle Stan. I almost called him Grunkle Rex. Grunkle Stan's hand. He's got blood on his hand. That's gonna that's gonna be important for some reason. I think the something that because you're right, you are you are working a limited thing, and honestly, the journal number three came out afterwards. So right. I'm actually giving you information that we didn't have the first time watching this. Right, and, and it, but it's written it's it's written in the style of something that's post written. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like and, the like the little thing about him having a pig in the house, you know, that's like a wink, wink towards Waddles. Yeah, and and and, and it's just it's it's sort of it's sort of shades and things, but it's not going to give you too much. But it just sort of colors things in. And plus, I don't get it. I can't just like pick it up and read it because you're 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 keeping things from me, which yeah, is yeah, I, like, I did skip uh, so. some uh, stuff. <laughs> so yeah. Like there's there's so much more in the um bunker stuff. I just kind of breezed over it because it was like seven pages. I was like, I don't want to read this. I think the thing I like most about the journal entries though is that that kind of gets glossed over because we see that McGucket was reaching out to his son um back in the Gobblewalker episode. But I think the journal does a really good job of fleshing out how much he cared for his family. The journal is a good tool more for character building. Because, you know, he has the picture of his family on the... I've taken out all my post-it notes, so now I don't know where they, it is. But, you know, he has the picture of his family on the table. And he chooses not to use the... He chooses to hide the memory gun because he doesn't want to risk forgetting them. And I, I just like those kind of character moments that we don't get to see in the show as much. Because we know it's... that he wanted to reach out to his son, and his son didn't want him there. And his son, his son thought he was an embarrassment... But now we have kind of just like the character building of like why and what happened. The journal reminds me of like G-rated HP Lovecraft. You know, <laughs> the, the, the author's been driven insane or seen something unseeable. And but it's it's G-rated. Yeah, Although yeah. I'm not that Lovecraft like 
the language of Lovecraft doesn't have anything that doesn't make it. Ge- it's just the content of it. You know, the dark. It's very, very dark. But this is. You don't want to give little kids Cthulhu level darkness at this point, but yeah, little taste of them, just a little, little, little tentacle here and there is is good. The the part that like really um stood out to me though, because we know it didn't happen because we see it in the episode, was when the author said Fiddleford didn't want to risk forgetting his family. I ordered him to destroy the gun, and he did. At least I think he did. I can't remember. That line has so much weight to it because, of course, we see the memory gun in this episode, so it wasn't destroyed, and we have to assume that it was used on the author. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's 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 a little too obvious. Although the author, if he's really smart, would be just like, oh, of course he he would he would be as at least as smart as he's. I'm taking the author to be smarter than us. So if he's wondering if he can remember whether he told him to destroy it or whether he destroyed it or not, that he should be like, wait a minute, <laughs> he definitely used it on me. Uh, if I if I was a twelve year old kid, that journal book would be like the would be like a book of wonders for me. One of the ciphers that you know once is decoded. When Old Man McGuckin is making the triangle over his eyes, he says, "Bill cipher triangle." Where do you think McGuckin fits in with Bill in all this? Everybody does. Everybody okay. in this is gonna fit, figure in with Bill. He's he's working the whole town. I'll bet you almost everybody has little little uh, experiences with Bill. Okay, interesting. Cool, cool. Any anything else? Any glimpses of what's going on with the portal at the end? There, it's very fast. It's a very fast scene. It's no, but, you know, no, scene. yeah, no. I think the important part of that scene is uh, is uh, Stan cut his hand. That's that's gonna figure in for sure. They wouldn't have done it. And plus, in these kind of stories, having your having your blood dripping around is always a bad idea. Bad it's, idea. It's symbolism, maybe. Uh, or somebody can get, a, or it could be symbolism, or somebody can get a hold of some of it. And in these kinds of stories, yeah, There's you never blood know. On his hand. Yeah, yeah. Well. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I would love to take a moment to thank my lovely patrons. Oh my god, I love you guys so much. Y'all are like, I don't know, like. My, my brain stuff. You guys are like my <gasps> patrons. Oh my goodness! Did Kate? Did you use the memory gun on me? I lost my train of thought. Maybe it was Brie and Alex. I I, I don't I don't know. Maybe they, oh, they got me with the Oh, it's a gag! Gun. Oh my god! But what's a gag, Patrick? Did you erase gags from my my mind, or perhaps it was Lynn or Billy? You want to know what a gag is? It's this. <laughs> So Heather didn't approve of that. <laughs> Actually, she probably did. She loves us. But I don't know. But it could be like Brian or Jean, too. I just, I, I can't remember. But I guess, I guess it's unseen. But you know, it's not unseen. My love for you guys, patrons. Thank you for always for your support. And I love you so much. Thank you guys for supporting me. And I can't wait to, you know, we're getting close to 2021. So another year. All right. Can't Chris. wait to leave those tire tracks on 2020. Oh my, oh my god, yeah. I cannot wait to get out of this hell this year. <laughs> Jesus Christ. All right, Chris, what were your final thoughts for the episode? I liked it a lot. I always liked Secret Society. It had lots of lots of juicy stuff. You know, when they're referencing Eyes Wide Shut and stuff, I'm very happy about that. I yeah, I, 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 I enjoyed it a lot. I didn't 
find it a very rich. I mean, actually, I guess it is a rich character episode for McGucket, but everybody else just sort of got I... got to do their got to do their thing. Because this episode is so plot heavy, I actually had a lot of trouble picking out like specific favorite moments. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, I had to really think about it because there's this is so much plot, and it's, especially for McGuckin. There's not as many gag. I mean, usually it's a gag a minute, and this didn't have like you know a bunch of TV gags, and and it had jokes, but it was all it was it wasn't all, but it was pretty much very strongly just like story yeah do you do you like that do you like it better or, or is it just different or you like them the same but they're just different i things? like both i like both but like i'm at this point in the story i'm gonna prefer this kind of story because i mean we're in the like now i know this is the last season so yeah we're gonna have to start getting to stuff we're not gonna have as much time for duck detective or duck was it duck detective yeah, Duck Detective. Duck Detective. That's right. We won't have as much time for Duck Detective, but like that's okay. I yeah, I, this is the, that's more of the stuff I was in it for. Although the gags are all like the gags turned out to be as good as like throwaway gags on say like Family Guy or something like that. Not as as crude as Family Guy, but those just sort of fam- the throwaway cultural jokes. But it's in service of better characters and a more like a you know realistic storyline so i i ended up not expecting that aspect of the show and liking it a lot i like their their i like the puns that they come up with and the wordplay stuff like detective is right up right up my alley last night on our show i i invented fun comfortable that's right i forgot about that and i and i flat out there like that's a mabel pine thing there like it's yeah. not comfortable. It's fun yeah. comfortable. So, so I really like that aspect of the show. It, was unex- it wasn't what I was expecting coming in, but if you notice, like my favorite parts of like when uh, always at the beginning of the show, that's what I'm listing is some of the 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 gags that just like yeah, that just were extremely funny and up my uh, they were my cl- closer to my kind of style of sense of humor. So. Um, but from now on, I'm going to be definitely looking forward to more, more, sto- more story moving forward. It's got to. There's only, let's see, four, eight, twelve, uh, thirteen episodes left. So. Okay. And three of that thirteen is the three-part finale. Ooh, a three-part finale. <laughs> There's the part Ooh, one, yeah. the part two, and then the fin- final episode's an hour long. Well, like forty, like forty-two minutes. You know. So it's like a two-hour movie. So it's like a long. It's like a movie. It's it's sort of a uh, mm-hmm. a siege of Mandalore. Kind of, yeah. And the part one and part two. And the sucky thing is between part part two and part three, it was like a like a four-month break between. Before, uh, between part two and part three of the finale, it was a four month break <sighs> because they wanted to. Because <laughs> Disney sucks. I was actually reading an article, maybe it was an article, but it was on one of an interview with either a storyboard artist or a writer or something. But they were talking about how Alex absolutely hated the hiatuses because that is not how he created the show. And it was all a Disney Corporation thing for them choosing because they they realized that the popularity of the show and they wanted to stretch the show as far as they as much as they could because remember it started in 2012 and it ended in 2016 and it's only two seasons, 
people have to work and you want to keep your momentum and you want to like have everybody having the dynamics that they had that worked on it and stuff yeah. like that. And they want and like because like Disney like wanted them to go to Comic Con and 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 do all that and like stretch it as much as and far as they could. The funny thing was though they didn't really support the show uh, merchandise wise. Like they didn't actually start releasing merchandise until like 2015. That was when we first start got, got like first started getting like our figures and like hints of the journal that was coming. Well, because- and, like, People just assume, like, uh, you know, I had this, it's really funny that you, I just had this thought yesterday in a different conversation about Baby Yoda, and they were like, why wasn't Baby Yoda, why weren't they ready with the, because somebody said, do you think they invented Baby Yoda was influenced by Baby Groot? And I was like, oh, definitely. And somebody was like, well, then if they, if they did that, why didn't they have Baby Yoda toys around? And I was like, because. Star Wars toys are sitting on. I think Disney, like everybody assumes because it's me, that they'll be. And Disney has over the years licensed out its its products like crazy. But I think Disney waits until they see something's going to be like this established law, like property. They like you like it has to go and ex like they don't want to just start marketing stuff. They like want to get you up closer to the the Donald Duck level or Goofy, you know, not Mickey Mouse level, but, you know, like Goofy or or Daisy or something like that level before they want to even bother, like, putting putting a lot of toys out. It's it's this weird, it's a weird thing. And even Star Wars. It's yes. Like, Plus, Beyonce and Donald Glover was behind the Baby Yoda. I, because I, I actually, um, I read an interview behind John. That's right. That. That's right. I, I read it. Uh, in, I, I think I don't think I've said it here, but I know I've talked oh about it. Oh my god! Good. You could have been the star of that thread on Facebook. You could have just dropped the article and said, "Actually, here <laughs> it is." Yeah, because uh, for anybody who doesn't know, the reason why they didn't have Baby Yoda merch is it's very common for because because p- publishers have to like in like magazines like previews world and stuff like that. So. Um, I, I used to work in a comic book store, so we would get like our our figure orders, like for like action figures and toys and stuff. We would get our order forms like three, four months in advance, and so like we knew Avengers Endgame spoilers because we could see the figures and the toys like three or four months in advance, and so it made it very easy for leaks and spoilers just through toys, and it's very common. And John Favreau, when he was working on The Lion King. At the same time, he and this is the the live action reboot Lion King, and at the same time he was getting like you know doing the Mandalorian and stuff like that. He was really nervous about the Baby Yoda reveal because it was such a huge reveal, and he had been talking with Disney about whether or not they wanted to have toys and stuff beforehand. And finally, Donald Glover was just like, "Dude, you need to handle this like how Beyonce handles things. She doesn't announce anything beforehand. She just drops drops an album, and the album just is." popular immediately and so john favreau took that idea to disney corporation and pretty much told them like we are not doing merch we're not going to announce baby yoda we're not going to reveal it it's going to be a surprise just like beyonce and he had to convince corporate disney to do it which is what caught the toy companies off guard because they were not prepared for christmas they did not know about it because they didn't want to risk leaking it so they actually say john favreau's uh, a successful filmmaker, but he ain't Beyonce as far oh. as power goes. So I, I imagine it was a, 
Beyonce just sort of like runs her own stuff too. Yeah. <laughs> so but it was it was because of Donald Glover was like you need to handle Baby Yoda like Beyonce and just like just drop it and 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 that's exactly what happened. What happened the first episode of The Mandalorian? We saw Baby Yoda and people lost their fucking minds. <laughs> and we've been in a Baby Yoda world ever since. And it was because of that. So like that was that was the reason why. But like when it comes to shows like Gravity Falls, like <sighs> Because of weird scheduling and stuff, and because it's kids, too, you can't really rely on ratings. Because, you know, like, kids will watch them at different times, or it'll become on so late at night that they'll record the episode and watch it the next day. So it's actually really difficult to judge the ratings of kids' shows. But, so something that they use as a signifier to, like, how well a show is doing is merchandise. Because to see, like, how many toys are being bought, that's the reason why Teen Titans, like, the original run of Teen Titans was cancelled. And... Oh, who was it? I think it's Kevin Smith. Some some actor with a podcast was talking about this because the reason Cartoon Network, right? No, it was Young Justice. It was Young Justice because uh, it was because they just won their Emmy. Um, Young Justice won an Emmy and then it was canceled. And it was because corporate Cartoon Network was saying that not enough girls were buying toys and they blamed it on female fans for not buying enough toys which kevin smith was like that's fucking bullshit you shouldn't be canceling your emmy award-winning show because of toy sales but that's that's one of the indicators that they use for a show to judge how popular yeah, I mean, it is that's, that's why the show ultimately exists <laughs> yeah for, for at that at the corporate level which is why it was so weird because Gravity Falls was actually a wildly populated, popular show. But they waited well, really long before they started releasing merchandise. It wasn't until, like, the show started in 2012. It wasn't until, like, 2015-ish that we started getting, like, shirts and figures and toys. And then, of course, the journal came out. We never, I still don't think we have a Blu-ray set. And I don't think we have a full DVD set. We have, like, best of episodes on DVD. But I don't think we have a full... I could be wrong because I, I haven't looked at this in a while, but I, I still don't think we have a full de- like show set. No, because Disney is very strategic about everything, and they're probably very strategic. They probably have a plan. I don't. Uh, probably it's insanely complex on availability. You know, different limiting having it only available in certain ways. So while while you can watch it streaming, they don't want it available as much on DVD, you know. And maybe when yeah. when when uh, when they take it off streaming to put something else in there that they fit, you know, when it's not getting watched enough on streaming, they'll put something else on there, and then maybe they'll come out with a deluxe Blu-ray. But there's set. like three years between the show ending and Disney Plus coming out. And you have that three-year period where fans were like, can we get this on the thing? Like, can we get, like, DVDs or Blu-rays, please? And fans demanded it, and we still don't have it. So, yeah. yeah. And they've always been notorious for, like, putting things in the vault. Yeah, Keeping yeah, it in yeah. the vault to, to build its, its um, absence makes the heart grow fonder, I guess, and the wallet looser. Mm. Oh, Gravity Falls has been released on Blu-ray. I was wrong. Okay, I said I might be wrong, so... <laughs> anyway, so Chris, where can people find you? I'm actually glad we had this little tiny conversation, because I was like, wow, we went through that episode real fast, and it's like one of the biggest episodes of the season. <laughs> so I'm glad we had a little side chat. Side chat. You can find me at tutufreaks.com. That's our podcast network. 
where you'll also find the other podcast Hope and I are on, which we've been re- referencing throughout this podcast tonight, uh, Jay Guys and Jedi, which uh, has just finished Star Wars The Clone Wars for the second time and is launching forward towards Resistance and then The Mandalorian after that. And then uh, whatever's coming next, you can... Uh, see all our podcasts there you can see all our podcasts on two true freaks on facebook or the two true freaks cantina on facebook and of course you can you can go visit the ever loving gene over in uh, at twitter at the two true freaks twitter account i think gene used the memory gun on me who's gene dun 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 gene that sounds familiar. i don't know I don't know. Why did you sing that? It must be a song. I think it was a pop song or something. I probably heard it. I probably heard it like in Kmart today when I was walking around. Oh yeah, I was in Target yesterday. Yeah, it sounds so familiar. I think anyway. it's a David Bowie song or something. I don't know. <laughs> David Bowie. <laughs> Gene Genie. <laughs> you ruined the bit by making me laugh. <laughs> David Bowie. No, I'm just thinking like David, Bo- David Bowie just being like, Gene, Gene. Just put that in your Gene, Gene Hendricks. He's a David Bowie song. This Honeywell. <laughs> oh, man. He's a space oddity. But that's where they f- can find me. Where can they find you, Hope? Of course you can find me. <laughs> David Bowie's on. You can find me at geekygirlexperience.com. This is the animation podcast for Geeky Girl Experience. I, of course, talked about my lovely patrons, and if you want to help support the show, um, you can go to patreon.com slash geekygirlexperience, and you can support the show there. And also, guys, a huge way to support the show is leaving a review on Apple Podcast. If you go and leave a five-star review and leave a review, it helps people find the show. I can't emphasize enough how helpful that is. Uh, you can find me also on Twitter at Hope Molinax. Of course, Chris mentioned our other podcast, J Guys and Jedi, and that's at J Guys and Jedi on Twitter. And I have a couple stores. So if you want to get some Waddles merch, I also have some Star Wars merch, some Owl House stuff. Um, I have uh, what was the other thing I made? I, ha- I made some Pokemon stuff. So if you go to geekygirlexperience.com, at the top on the little right, there's a button that says Shops. Click on that, and that will take you to either my Etsy or my Redbubble store, your choice of where you would like to go. All right, Chris, you ready to hear the title of next week's episode? I am ready. Blinden's Game. Oh, oh, good, he's back. (laughs) I knew he was going to be back. He's a time traveler. I know. So, Blinden's Game. Sounds like the. uh, I hope it's not based on the Stephen King story, Gerald's Game. I can't say anything. Okay. (laughs) It it is an allusion to. To Stephen King? That's a. No, 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 no. Um, The most dangerous game? Game No. No. Scrabble. No. (laughs) Scrabble. (laughs) Scrabble Uh, seems like it would be Blandon's game. Ender's Game. Oh, of course. Ender's Game. I've read the book, but haven't seen the movie. That's all right. Interesting. (laughs) All right, you guys. We'll see you next week. All righty. Bye. Bye. Yeah, my planching girl, we planching. 
I live up in a mansion. Are you blanching? Girl, I'm blanching. I live up in a mansion. Can I please have your attention? Cause you know we straight blanching. Can I please have your attention? Okay. You know that we straight blanching. We be blanching on a plane. We be blanching straight to France. We got blanching on the brain. Come on, eat your own pants. Eat your own pants, baby. Play it. Kids, are we blanching? Yeah, we still blanching. We continue to blanch. That word makes sense, y'all. 